0: It was said for a long time that Don DeLillo's 1985 novel, White Noise, was unfilmable, and if you've ever read it, you can probably see why. It's got these complex sentence structures and juggles several different themes in a really satirical manner. Noah Baumbach tried it anyway in 2022 to mostly positive reviews, though as with any film adaptation, not everyone thought he handled the source material perfectly. It's not that critics would suggest Baumbach is a bad filmmaker he's actually considered one of the best in the business. It's just that DeLillo wrote White Noise to be read, and Baumbach made it to be seen. Those are two totally different mediums, and there's an inherent struggle in adapting characters and stories from existing work.
1: But coming to it, I was actually in a world that Marvel hasn't done necessarily in cinema yet. The Wastelanders world was somewhat new. I actually got some creative license in what America looks like.
0: Next, you'll hear how a writer, director, and producer adapted characters from the Marvel Universe into a podcast series, and how she also built another world from scratch. My name is Stuart, and this is Audience, a Castos original series, where we go behind the scenes of all kinds of different podcasts and the creative process behind great audio. I think one of the best ways to learn how to do something better is to go directly to the people who are really good at that thing. So at Castos, we do just that. Each episode of Audience features some of the most talented and creative podcasters around, and we hope that by listening, it will inspire more creativity in your work as you dive into this journey of audio creation. Along the way, Castos wants to be part of your creative journey. From our suite of tools, feature-rich hosting platform, and even our production services, we're here to help. Connect directly with us by emailing hello at castos.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes.
1: My name is Jenny Turner-Hall, and I'm a creator in the podcast space. I create series as well as write and direct them. I created a series, I co-created a series called The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel in 2016, and it won the Peabody Award in 2017, and that sort of put me on the map with audio fiction podcasting that was uh, a podcast geared towards preteens, essentially. But a show that was meant to appeal to the entire family, especially during long car trips. And the inspiration um, for that series was essentially Steven Spielberg and the movies that we grew up with and taking the excitement that you experience in a movie theater and putting it in a podcast. That was the concept.
0: Jenny's been on the show before, and we mostly talked about a series called A Simple Her Story that she helped produce. But in the world of podcasting, she's probably best known for her work on Mars Patel. Aside from winning that Peabody she mentioned, Mars Patel was a groundbreaking show in the world of audio fiction. Today, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of podcasts geared towards kids, but that wasn't necessarily the case back in 2016. What's that saying? See the need, fill the need?
1: But certainly when we set out to do the series, we knew that kids, just like adults, needed a hook. And with Mars Patel, I mean, there were a lot of things that were kind of coming together at once. Serial, I mean, I don't need to tell anyone who listens to podcasts. It was groundbreaking for everyone, not only in how it was constructed and how addictive the series was, but also the possibility of using podcasts as an art form and storytelling art form. Certainly, which existed with radio plays, I mean, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel, but to bring it back into the public consciousness and as form of entertainment, that really appealed to us. You know, as kids, we had it more as kids shows. And all of us who created Mars Patel had young kids at the time. And we were very concerned about our kids being overly addicted to screens. So we were thinking at both as parents and for other parents, could we create something that parents could enjoy with their kids? So number one, it would be written well enough and be interesting enough that parents could consume it with their kids and not want to like, you know, gouge their ears out or eyes out.
0: (laughs) The plot they came up with centers on 11 year old Mars Patel and his crew of motley friends who set out to solve the strange disappearance of kids at their school while battling the menacing and ever-present Oliver Pruitt. Now, there's no spoilers here, but I will say that their adventures take them beyond our world, invoking a supernatural element that somehow manages to feel both futuristic and nostalgic. Critics have described the show as the Goonies meets Stranger Things, which makes sense when you remember what Jenny said about she and her co-creators being inspired by Spielberg films.
1: You know, I think that had a lot to do with we're all we were all all the creators are of Generation X and we all have certain sort of pop cultural touchstones, including for one, when we were kids listening to records in the classroom that was like, you know, Vincent Price reading Edgar Allan Poe's stories, that kind of thing. So we remember what it was like listening to audio stories as a kid. least I do. (laughs) And enjoying that in the classroom. We all remember, you know, how important Steven Spielberg was to our childhoods and the idea of like the epic kid's story that's told from the kid's point of view. So that really influenced what kind of story we were going to tell. And the Goonies came up immediately as one of the references. And even though Stranger Things ended up being a comp for Mars Patel, we were creating Mars Patel as Stranger Things was being created. So Stranger Things didn't exist when we were writing the first season of Mars Patel. But undeniably we see, you know, that there, there especially in the first season of those two shows, there were some similarities. We were sort of um, in the same zeitgeist. And we wanted to really bring the production values of podcasting to the level that we saw in TV and film. We wanted to bring, you know, high production values to um, podcasting, which, of course, Serial had too. you know, bring but original music composition, um, bring in the best actors that we could find, um, really good script writing. And. There, there probably there were some stories in the space for kids but there wasn't a lot and so it was just we just hit it at a good time I mean we just kind of hit the wave where audio fiction sort of needed more content specifically for kids and we hit this the we were looking for the age group that was consuming Harry Potter that was sort of what's called middle grade um, which is kind of that eight to 12 time period. That was the ideal age group to listen to our series. And, um, you know, we decided to market it when we told people about it. We had to tell them how to consume it with their kids, which is, hey, are you going on a long car ride anytime soon? Play this. And that is really how a lot of parents ended up discovering Mars Patel. They they just put it on because they had a long car ride coming up for something. And uh, everyone got into it. The kids got into it in the back seat, and the parents got into it in the front seat. And so really it it was, that's how we begun. And it was a very do-it-yourself enterprise which was part of the delight of being in podcasting at that moment, scary because we didn't know what we were doing. We were putting our own personal money into financing Mars Patel and did it on a shoestring. The actors got paid very little and we're so grateful that they even took this gig. <laughs> and and we used, uh, especially in the first season, a number of people that I happen to personally be friends with, I went to college with. In fact, Oliver Pruitt, who is our slippery, somewhat villain of the series, um, he's kind of a Willy Wonka type. And I think subconsciously he was based on Willy Wonka and a little Elon Musk. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> that was voiced by Michael Perlstein, an amazing actor I went to college with at University of Virginia who does a lot of voiceover work. And we were so grateful that he did the series and really brought life to that character. And that gave us an anchor for the series of um, having a narrator to help along the young listeners to the podcast so they could understand what was going on. But we used the narrator as a character as well. And audiobooks hadn't quite figured out I mean, as far as I know, at that time, audiobooks weren't doing creative things with the narrator. You could listen to audiobooks with just a straight narrator telling the story or maybe a radio play if you found it. But nothing that really combined both of those two elements.
0: Toothpick! The drone is right behind you! Hand me that knitting, JP. We've got to get Caddy and go back under the trees. Stand still. I need to climb on your shoulders. What, what, What are you doing? I'm going drone hunting. What? A little closer, a little closer, (laughs) gotcha. Mars Patel ran for three seasons and the success of the show speaks for itself. Winning a Peabody Award is just about the highest honor someone working in the audio space can achieve and the possibility for multiple spin-offs are still on the table. In the meantime, as audio fiction experienced a rebirth The series caught the attention of Marvel Entertainment in 2022, and they hired Jenny to write and direct a 10-part podcast series based on the Wolverine character. It's called Wastelanders, Wolverine.
1: Um, I worked on Wolverine, the the latest iteration of Wolverine, um, for the Wastelanders series from Marvel. Um, I wrote and directed the series. I wrote all 10 episodes and directed the series, and it was amazing to see for me, (laughs) how much I had learned about, (laughs) about audio design. And it started in, you know, humbly with Mars Patel, but with the full instruments at my disposal and something that has a healthier budget like Wolverine, it was really exciting to take full advantage of that. And just personally to see where I had come developed as an artist and creator who's working in this awesome field of audio fiction and forever wanting to um, evolve our art form and and keep keep it alive and and keep listener's our listenership ever growing. And so Christmas Eve felt like a perfectly natural time to reflect upon how far we've come. 30 years of putting humans first and eliminating the disgusting plague of mutant kind.
0: Oh, come, you freak! So, he's not going to give me back my job that was stolen by another damn mutant. Who are you? Just another damn mutant. Wolverine. The Wolverine! Mars Patel was a world that Jenny and her co-creators built from scratch, with complete control over what the characters do and say and all that. Making a series for Marvel based on characters that have a long history with dedicated fans was a delicate balance.
1: So I was a Marvel fan. I read, I mean, I read Spider-Man comic books when I was a kid, and I loved the X-Men. The X-Men probably was my favorite part of the Marvel Universe, so it was so perfect that I got to work on a series with Wolverine, and my son is named Logan. (laughs) What was interesting is wastelanders it's set 30 years in the future so i had to deal with with the existing marvel stories which I, i i did a deep dive and read as many back you know of the comic books of wolverine in particular that i could coming to the role but also just some of the other stuff that I that I thought could help inform us, even stuff about Jean Grey and stuff with Magneto. And, you know, just in terms of like what the backstories of all the characters were. Magneto wasn't in Wastelanders, unfortunately. But just, just understanding what the stories are, you know, and the experiments that Wolverine went through, etc. But coming to it, I was actually in a world that Marvel hasn't done necessarily in cinema yet. The Wastelanders world... Was somewhat new i actually got some creative license in what america looks like and um i took what was happening with our current political situation essentially right now and and kind of imagined that being played out to the extreme and it was not hard to imagine unfortunately because it really was a matter of history repeating itself you know like i looked to um nazi germany unfortunately, (laughs) as sort of what could happen if a character like Red Skull took over America. You know, Red Skull was more the nemesis of Captain America. So it was interesting sort of reading the backstory about Red Skull and when that character was created and why. And of course, Red Skull was essentially, you know, a Nazi <laughs> and you know, extreme ideological viewpoints and you know, uh, racist ideals and stuff. It, it, like I said, it really wasn't that hard to imagine. But in terms of um, building the world inside of the Marvel parameters, you know, there is a process, everything that you create has to go through several layers of approval. That's how these things work. So you know, everything was approved what I wrote in terms of um, making sure that that was, you know, in line that I was correct in terms of um, keeping true to the characters that, that, that exists in the Marvel universe and the storylines and that what I was writing wasn't somehow affecting future storylines that they have in mind for other things that they have in the pike and other mediums, whether it be the comic books or TV shows or films. So, there is a process. The podcasting division, the digital division that I worked with, it was just unbelievably great people who um, were very supportive and gave me great feedback and um, were kind of game for anything. and and if ever I had questions about, does this fit in with the storyline of, you know of this X-Men character, or whatever, you know, is it okay if I say this? whatever, they could always answer those questions for me. So I really, had people who were encyclopedias of knowledge to always lean on, you know, and to give me direction on that. But weirdly I got to kind of create the world from scratch there too, in some ways. And I got to take the series to Canada, which um, was fun. It was just, it was something that had originally been planned for that a certain part of the series would go to Canada or at least for an episode. And and we, we really had fun with that because Wolverine is Canadian. <laughs> so I, I, I had just such a ball working inside a universe where there were some guardrails, but not, it wasn't totally restrictive. I got to set it in this futuristic environment. So, you know, I got to imagine what our technology would be then and, you know, our resources in terms of water and where we would be in terms of how militarized we would be, et cetera.
0: When you build like a futuristic world like this and, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but I mean, yeah. Wastelanders, you can, I think that gives us a relatively vivid image. Yeah. Mad Max is, is one of the things I always think of. How, how much time do you spend explaining to the listener or how much time do you spend trying to give them context? Because it's like you said, unfortunately, it's kind of easy to imagine a world where the environment is destroyed, where there's an autocratic leader. How much of that are, are you explaining through like narration? And, and how much of that are you just leaving up to the listener's own intuition?
1: For me, it's a lot of the intuition stuff because there's already so much business at hand with the story. I do try to sneak in details you know, just details about water shortages or climate change that has affected vegetation or, you know, ways that what used to be, you know, and, you know, mentions mentions of history, which essentially is our current history now. There are ways to sneak it in. And then, you know, also more cliched ways too, like through newscasts that, indicate what's happening on the outside, you know, that there's, there's ways to sneak in information about the current state of affairs through news broadcasts, etc. But I think if you do too much of that, like you said, I mean, it just, first of all, it kind of dumbs it down. And secondly, it just wastes a lot of time. Sometimes it's best to just sometimes have somebody state, like a couple of key pieces of information at the beginning, and just launch you know, and and, and allow the listener to get so hooked into the character and the story that they're not getting too bogged down with the details of, does America look like that 30 years in the future, you know, because that could easily take over. (laughs) But you did put your finger on something, Stuart, which is in a movie or TV show, there's a lot of visual cues that we could use, right? Right. In audio, it's so much trickier because you don't have access to any of that. So unfortunately, you do have to put some of that into the mouths of your characters, you know, some expositional details that just kind of help set the environment of where they are. But I didn't make the future look that different from what we are dealing with right now. It is a little, it's more technologically advanced, it's more robotic, but it's also... You know, I dealt more with the political situation, like where we could be politically in the future in terms of like our, whether one person would get rid of our government, etc. Like that, I focused more on that. That was my way of envisioning the future versus what do our cars sound like in the future? And, and, you know, will we finally have flying cars? (laughs) And, you know... I I didn't go into that. But that is another way of treating it. I think that's easier for visual design. And what's cool about the Wastelanders series is that every series, which features a different character, there's a series about Hawkeye, etc., had a different take on what the feature was going to be. You know, like they all have their own flavor. But we had certain sort of touchstones that happened in the story that were germane to all of them, which is essentially that the Avengers get defeated And so we all had that as a touchstone. And so that's great, you know, um, that we all had this like major thing in common, but we all followed different characters on their different individual journeys until they had a final Wastelanders episode, which was a which was a meetup series where they all came back together again. And of course, they're they're older, you know, it's in the future. So we also had that in common, too. And focusing on the age of the characters and 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 having that sort of be a reference to where we are in history and in time by looking at the age of the character and hearing the sound of Wolverine's voice, not as Hugh Jackman, but as Robert Patrick, you know, an older man. That's That was my way of handling it. and And I used a lot of, I really took advantage of the fact that Wolverine has issues with his mind and he's constantly flashing and he, you know, because of his... Um, regenerative properties you know he can live much longer than everyone else so his history goes really far back (laughs) you know (laughs) he's been in almost probably every major world war at least in the last 200 years
0: (laughs) yeah you kind of touched on something where you you were talking about how every season features a different character and Mm -hmm. i know when you have a subculture or a fandom and this is like writ large. You could say it about Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. You name it. People are very sensitive about it. Oh gosh. They're very, they're very yes. attached to, they're <laughs> very attached to continuity and and these storylines, and what is and isn't considered canon. So when you're writing for Wolverine, and again you're you're someone who loves it. You named your child after the character. Too. <laughs> so are you are you being real conscious about that continuity about the history of the character? Yeah.
1: Uh, Yes. (laughs) You are very aware of it. You're very aware of it because it's like a sacred trust. You know, this is a beloved character. And I have reverence for the people who came before me and not only created the character, but all the writers who wrote the character um, and every iteration. It's just a baton pass. And I pass the baton back. And there's something really beautiful about that. But like I said, it's a sacred trust. So you don't want to like completely do something that is so antithetical to who Wolverine is that you destroy the character for people. That being said, at a certain point, you just have to write. And you have to not being, you you can't be afraid of breaking a few eggs, you know, because you have to be you. Some fans absolutely loved what I did. I mean, really loved it. And some fans thought I was you know, it was a little too jokey or something like that, you know. And I like the wit of Wolverine. So I definitely leaned into that sometimes. And I like the idea that Red Skull, one of the criticisms also I got, some people absolutely loved my the way I wrote Red Skull. And some thought that uh, they didn't love it at all. They thought it was just so like, you know, stereotypical Red Skull. But I, I deliberately wrote Red Skull the way the comic books portrayed Red Skull. I mean, this is not a character with a lot of nuances. You know, uh, Red Skull is 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 not uh, a character that, that, that is kind of teetering between good and evil. I mean, Red Skull kind of firmly a psychopath. I didn't really want to write a story that was empathetic to someone who was, you know, essentially a Nazi in disguise, you know, like I... I just didn't care to get into making Red Skull a lovable character. I did create complications for that character and gave that character some different stakes in the series. So it wasn't, you know, you still have a responsibility to create a full-blown character. But there has been a trend in comic books to take, you know, to go into a deep dive. Of either the the superhero like the Wolverine and do kind of a very dark take on Wolverine, or to take the villain and do a more empathetic look at the villain, and for me that had already been done for Wolverine, in several of the comic book series. And with Red Skull, I just didn't feel like he was the right character to do that kind of murky territory. You know, I just I went for something that was really had great stakes, was fun and entertaining. And the central relationship wasn't between Red Skull and Wolverine, but it was in fact Wolverine and a teenage girl, you know, and that, that the geriatric Wolverine teaming up with this teenage girl who was giving him a lot of attitude. That was a really fun relationship to write. And Sophia, that character, that was a new character for the Marvel universe. So that's what I decided to do. I had to make peace with it, you know that that there was no way to write something that was going to please everyone. You know, it's different from Mars Patel, obviously, because kids are in some ways they could be a tough audience too, but they were easier. You know, they the response to Mars Patel, you know, because it hasn't been around as a franchise, was uh, very positive when kids latched onto it. And what was interesting here, we've got this audio drama series. And at the time, there were some kids dressing as Mars Patel for Halloween. And you kept thinking, like, well, what does Mars Patel look like? You know, because they've only experienced Mars through audio. So it was it's just fascinating that kids would, you know, pick that up. So I got to experience what that's like, too, with Mars Patel, just on a completely different level.
0: I have to ask, did yeah. anybody come trick-or-treating at your house dressed it's as Mars Patel?
1: Patel? <laughs> They did not. But I had a lot of people that I grew up with get in touch with me and say my kids listen to Mars Patel. So that was really interesting that people that I was friends with at the age I was with Mars Patel getting in touch with me because they have kids the age of Mars Patel, the character and saying how much their family loves the series. But it was but it's really fun writing. So now I've got to experience it twice on a smaller level with Mars Patel, of like what it's like to grow a fandom and then experiencing it on a macro level with Marvel. I mean, Wolverine was a billboard in Times Square. Like, you know, that was a first, you know, for me, like, you know, to have something that has that kind of reach. You're lucky, you know, to have that happen even once in your lifetime.
0: Well, Jenny, I think your work speaks for itself. And the two conversations we've had, we've discussed four different projects and they're all <laughs> outside the box and they're all very different from one another. So I think uh, any any final thoughts before we uh, close up shop here?
1: I just want to thank anyone who has found Mars Patel. It was such a joy to create that series and it's very near and dear to my heart. But I also want to just emphasize to both kids and adults alike that Mars Patel was a do-it-yourself enterprise and you too could create a Mars Patel. I mean, it comes from your imagination, you know, and we taught ourselves a lot along the way with Mars Patel and now the technology makes it more accessible than ever to create your own work. And when kids say, well, how do I get started in podcasting? you know, a lot of teenagers in particular ask me that question. I say, just make a podcast, you know, figure out how the technology works. It's not as difficult these days and experiment and enjoy finding your own voice. And what turns you on in terms of stories? You know, what, what stories are you drawn to? Who are your influences? As you're starting out, it's okay to imitate your influences. You know, eventually you'll find your own unique voice but you got to start somewhere. And it's interesting. Mars Patel is, and of course Wolverine, these are at higher production values, but you can make a really charming podcast with low production values, you know, and in some ways it could be more charming. So don't be afraid. Just go out and tell your story. If you have a burning story that you want to tell, don't wait for anyone's permission. Do it yourself because you'll learn more from that than any internship that anyone can set you up on. So that's that's my parting piece of advice for anyone who wants to get involved with audio fiction.
0: You can find The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel and Wastelander's Wolverine anywhere you get your podcast, or just linked below. It's great when we can have guests come back on the show to talk about different topics and projects. So instead of getting another podcasting tip from Jenny, I figured, we'd leave you with one final thought. We've probably all heard that saying that audio fiction is like cinema for the ears, which as a frame of reference does make some sense. But cinema is a very visual medium, and podcasts are auditory. And I think Jenny puts it best.
1: I don't think all audio fiction should be cinema for your ears because cinema is a beautiful and lovely art form that we should totally support and, and keep alive. But so is audio fiction, which is its own art form. It doesn't need to be called cinema, but anyway.
0: Audience is a Castos original series. Our founder and executive producer is Craig Hewitt. Production assistance is provided by Jocelyn DeVore, Esel Brill, and Marnie Hills. Our website and logo design is courtesy of Francois Brill, our head of product here at Castos. All of our music comes from the Storyblocks library. This episode was written, edited, narrated, and produced by me. I'm Stuart Barefoot. All previous episodes can be streamed anywhere you listen to podcasts and online at audiencepodcast.fm. Next time on Audience, I chat with Jasmine Morris from the podcast Hitman, about true crime and journalistic ethics.
1: Yeah, and I didn't think that this story would be true. <laughs> I sort of bristled at that genre at the time. And I think that that's just because, again, my time at StoryCorps, and I learned this so much from Dave Isay, who founded StoryCorps, you get out of the way and you let people tell their own stories. And I think for a lot of true crime, you don't always hear from the people whose stories these are...